Welcome to The Spectrum, brought to you by ABA Centers of America. I'm Dr. Ted Bender, clinical psychologist and mental health advocate. Please visit our website at abacenters.com to learn more. Today, I have the distinct pleasure to have on John Sally, four-time NBA world champion, actor, businessman, and mental health advocate. Thank you so much, John, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Um, for those of you who don't know, and if you've watched sports ever, you should. John has won four NBA championships, one the only player to win with three different teams in three different decades. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I was a huge fan of the Detroit Pistons in the 89, 90s days. If you guys remember, the Bad Boys, uh, my favorite team of all time. So it's such an honor to have you here on the show, and it's a pleasure to work with you again. Oh, thank you. So you're here today to talk about advocacy for autism awareness. What what makes you what makes you an advocate for autism and why do you want to speak about that today? Well, one thing it's it's comes up so much, right? It 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 was it took the headlines for a long time. Um my friend Rodney Pete and Holly Robinson Pete, they have a foundation called Holly Rod Foundation and they were literally getting more information about autism because their son, RJ, uh, was diagnosed with autism. So I paid attention because it's my friend's child, but he was so lively and so, so much fun to the point now he works for the Dodgers and the problems or the situations he was having as a young child, he no longer has. And then my daughter, Taya, through, you know, growing up, she was quiet. She didn't, she didn't speak. English really well, whatever language she was speaking, only my daughter Tyler could understand her. Um, her anger problems, her uh, inability to learn what we consider to be simple things. When she got to the point of 18 and they were like, I don't think they, uh, one of her therapists said that she should have been diagnosed with uh, autism early. But she speaks French. She's a great athlete. She's uh, she's a model, and I just looked at it her being shy. Mm-hmm. So she was the one who came to me and said, "You guys didn't um, really push to get me diagnosed, and I had autism this whole time." And I was like, "Well, it's your superpower. I always going to turn a negative, or if somebody thinks it's a negative, into a positive." And I started paying more attention because she felt she was so hard on herself. And wanting to be hard on us too, but you know, teenagers do that. Like mm-hmm. their parents are not as smart as they think they are, <laughs> until that teenager has kids, and then they uh, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so, looking back, when Taya was growing up, what do you see now that you may not have seen while she was growing up? Well, one of the things I paid attention to. Um, is what we what I would call uh, simple things or being able to deal in public. Mm-hmm. Like I took that for granted because I, of my own public persona and having it for so long, mm. and then having other kids who were able to deal with the on flow of cameras, yeah. red carpets, people grabbing me when we eat, uh, people yelling the name, you know, things like that. I just looked, you know, I just thought, hey, you guys got it easy. We go in the back way. We never worry about tickets. Right. But Taya was having problems with people looking at her. And she's always had that problem. It always made her feel not at ease. Mm-hmm. So if I would have known that certain um, things uh, happen or click when a, when a child has autism, I would have been able to identify it quicker. 
you know, for our listeners out there, and this is a very common thing mm. in uh, children growing up, uh, children who are on the spectrum or have autism disorder often have trouble understanding other people's emotions. Right. They have trouble understanding other people's body language. Uh, whereas you and I can very clearly understand each other's facial gestures. Right. People on the spectrum sometimes really struggle with that. So it sounds like you were noticing, you noticed looking back, she was displaying some of those symptoms. Yeah. And we would say that she was really unemotional. Mm -hmm. Right. And we were like, oh, Taya's just, uh, they would say, she's just so mean. She's, uh, she's a Taurus. You know, she's a Taurus like you, and she's mean, and her temper, and not understanding um, what she was talking. She does not like crowds, mm -hmm. but wants to go to a concert. So now it's it's different. It's um, I, I remember when she was fourteen. Just to give you an example, um, she's a huge Drake fan, mm -hmm. and uh, we I got into literally we snuck in. To see Drake, I'm gonna say it. We, I didn't have tickets. First, we were it was the Staples Center there. I was like, hey, I used to play here, remember? And uh, we go in to the concert, and she wants to wait and meet Drake. Yeah. And you know, if you know anything about this, you got to wait a long, uh -huh. long time. So we finally get in to meet Drake, and she hugs him so strong, and he goes, uh, you know, she has the best night. She gets in the car, and she's. Uh, crying and she goes what is what's happening like she didn't understand why tears were coming down uh -huh. her. i said yeah that's called emotion you know <laughs> and she was like yeah but why 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 am i crying yeah and so we had to explain to her the, the feeling she had so that was another telltale sign so i think you know from hearing what you're saying it's, it's very important for people who may be going through this now or maybe you have a young child and you don't understand what's happening with them, or you're seeing symptoms maybe that you can relate to with what mm -hmm. John is saying. And it's important to understand that that children on the spectrum or children who are dealing with autism spectrum disorders, they, they have a hard time understanding emotion. They yeah. have not only other people's emotions, but their own emotions. Uh, and they really struggle with dealing with emotions between people. That's uh, so a symptom we call social emotional reciprocity or kind of that back mm -hmm. and forth. So it's kind of sound like what you're explaining. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, and then she would, uh, if somebody died and people were crying, um, I, I knew, I knew not to have like Taya have a comment. A comment. She was because her comment is, "People die. What mm. What are you crying about?" Mm -hmm. And she goes, "Everyone's gonna die." You know, it's just that, it, which is true, and it is a tough thing. But then, you know, I I, I get along with it because I like to know. Yeah. Right. You know, this is what it is. This is how you feel. But when you see somebody who has like no emotion, you think the worst. You think Dexter. Mm -hmm. Oh, this person <laughs> could be a serial killer. Right. You know, we think of the dumbest things. But it's also there's things that she does connect to now that she is uh, was in therapy and oh. was dealing with other things. But this therapist, I'm not gonna. I don't know that her name or what I give it away for free, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but she was so, um, into making sure she was pulling back as many layers of, of the mm -hmm. onion as possible. So that, that's a great question. So now, uh, Taya has been working with a therapist. What specific symptoms or behaviors would you say have improved or what you've, what have you witnessed improved with, with that work that she's been doing? She uses her throat chakra. Uh, <laughs> she says what she thinks now she still doesn't have a filter on mm -hmm. it as well as i think she should yeah but 
she now whispers to me, such and such, such and such. And I go, yeah, well, you can say that out loud. And then she'll <laughs> say it out loud. Before, it was just like, this is what I feel. Mm. I don't, no emotional push to it at all. So she tests things with you? Yeah. A little bit. She, she, and she's testing me a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> so she's developing a strategy to kind of help navigate this. Yeah, she is becoming more and more... Um, uh, of a social butterfly, which is cool. That's great. The fact that she has a TikTok and she talks about autism on her TikTok, and um, she's 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 a beautiful girl, but she's becoming better with public. That's fantastic. For our listeners out there, and and again, if you're in a situation where you have a family member or a loved one who may or may not be on the spectrum, it's important to remember a few things. One, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of mental illness or disability, it's, you know, a common question that she may have gotten or maybe you've heard is like, well, why can't she just not blurt these things out? Or why can't she just do this? Or why right. can't she just do that? But, you know, I like to kind of put it in perspective. I heard a great example the other day on another podcast where you know, expecting someone with um, an autism spectrum disorder to just do this or just do that. It's, just, it's the same thing as asking someone who can't walk to just stand up and walk up the stairs. There's no difference. The person who's paralyzed can't stand up and walk up the stairs. The person who has a spectrum disorder may not be able to do this or do that as effectively as you or I. So it's important for our listeners to understand that and, and more importantly, become supportive and understanding of this type of disorder. Mm -hmm. And one of the great ways you can do that is to learn about it, which we're doing here. And again, thank yeah. you for being an advocate. Uh, and also engage in and seek treatment because it's incredibly effective as you've been leaning towards. How do you see from your from your work in advocacy and your exposure with your with your daughter and your friend's child, how do you see autism changing over the decades? I <clears throat> Oh, decades to come? Yeah. How do, how have you seen it evolve, our understanding of it? We become more understanding and less dismissive, meaning when somebody doesn't do something, they were either crazy or they used another bad word that we know you're going to use. And it's so dismissive. No one ever took the second to, to think about it. And then, you know, dealing with her and the therapist, I had to realize we're all on a spectrum of some sort, mm -hmm. right? And I, I would say to them, I said, I look at it as my superhero, uh, superpower. I didn't, I don't look at it as a handicap. I never looked at it as, uh, and, and to me, I'm, and, and I'm going to put it on me. Uh, my mother used to say, you're a very different kid. And, <laughs> and I took that as I'm better mm -hmm. than the other kids mm -hmm. she's had. Which you know I am. My <laughs> brothers just have to deal with it. But uh, but I'm one of four and the youngest. And I I thought maybe it was different because my parents had me so late in life, mm -hmm. so they were able to train and rear me different than they did my brother when they were in their twenties mm -hmm. when they had him. So I just think in the the way it's going now, I think we're more tolerant yeah. in the future. I think we're more uh, we have more information sometimes too much information uh, that is all over the place, but enough information than it used to be. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. As a psychologist, I sometimes get a little overwhelmed with the amount of information that's out there. I mean, one of them is just, you know, how prevalent is it in our society? You see all kinds of different ratios. These days, the, the number that I see the most, which is pretty staggering, is one in 36 children are being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders uh, here in 2023. Well, you know I'm going to ask. Please. Okay. 
Now, Jenny McCarthy, McCarthy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think it, uh, I forgot who the other person along with her spoke about all the different vaccines they give at one shot mm-hmm. as opposed to having the time. And and they said, and I remember seeing this too, because God rest his soul, Larry King, I watched it like, you know, people watch sports. Mm-hmm. They were on and they were like, um, you, they were putting so many heavy metals and so many things inside of children that of course it was going to uh, deal with their growth, mm-hmm. mental growth. Is that a true thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's still so much that we don't know about autism, especially when it comes to causes. Now, a lot of people have that belief that vaccines are related in some way. The data and the science that I've seen don't support that. But the simple fact is that we don't know exactly what causes autism. We do know that there are some things that increase the chances. So um, birth difficulties, for example, Mm -hmm. um, premature births, prenatal exposure to certain environmental conditions, Um, maternity, obesity, diabetes also has been linked as a risk factor. But we still do not fully comprehend or understand all the causes of autism because there are many cases where people are born with autistic disorder or spectrum disorder, and none of those things happen. Mm -hmm. So how were those children exposed to or why did that develop? Um, The science isn't 100% clear yet. Um, So there's a lot to learn about it. We know that it's not necessarily curable, but with good treatment, the improvements can be amazing. I think you've experienced yeah. a lot of that. I, I literally saw a kid. Um, I remember growing up with a guy um, who it, it just they just said he was hyperactive. That yeah. was the mentality. He was he's just hyper, but all boys are hyper, mm-hmm. uh, and they should be. They should be <laughs> hyper. And they were so quick to give away pills when I was growing up. Right. But they are really, I think, making a lot of drug addicts. You know, um, another controversial area, of, you know, is it, is it hyperactivity? Is it ADHD? A lot of times the two disorders get uh, muddied or unclear, you know, where someone may be on the spectrum, it gets misdiagnosed as ADHD. These days, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right about medications for, for that mm. disorder. They're being overprescribed, oftentimes because um, people are being misdiagnosed. Yeah. And also, you know, if you look at the ADHD piece of all of this, the diagnostic process in a lot of cases is being done way too flimsy. Like, for example, I've done a lot of diagnostic work in children, uh, spectrum disorders and ADHD evaluations. A good ADHD evaluation takes, takes eight hours of my time meeting with the client, testing, write-up, assessment, environmental factors, family. But other times, people are being diagnosed with that with a 10-question questionnaire in a doctor's office. Right. It takes five minutes. So there's a lot of misdiagnosis, not only in that field, but it often also gets misdiagnosed with autism spectrum disorders. So the two kind of come intertwined, and sometimes they can both be diagnosed, even further complicating the issue. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. So if there was five things I had to ask you, I put a child in front of you, and it was five things that will tell you right off that they are on the spectrum of autism. What would they be? Well, that's that's a great question. And you know, when when we're referring to diagnostic categories such as what you're asking, we refer to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, the DSM-5, as it's known. And there are a cluster of symptoms that must be met in order to diagnose someone with an autism spectrum disorder. First, being that social emotional reciprocity. 
Um, children often have a really hard time, you know, expressing their emotions with another person and then you, them expressing their emotions with you and that back and forth. Also sharing interest with other people. Um, they may be hyper-focused and interested on, in something and then sharing that interest with another, something that they really struggle with. Um, I've worked with uh, young children who were absolutely obsessed with trains or washer machines. And they could tell you every brand of washing machine going back to like the 1970s, right? They knew everything about it. It was, it was fascinating. Um, but sharing that interest with other people could be difficult for them. Expressing and understanding emotion. You know, as human beings, we communicate so much nonverbally. I mean, in mm -hmm. fact, the majority of our communication is nonverbal. They really struggle sometimes to understand that nonverbal communication and also kind of um, facial gestures. Where if I'm really angry, you're going to know it in a mm -hmm. second, right? Whereas someone with uh, who may be on the spectrum doesn't it doesn't register. They don't realize that you're really angry, you're really happy, you're sad, or whatever emotion it might be. There's other ones as well too. Um, we see a lot of stereotype speech, repetitive movements, um, a lot of rigid routines. So like if you if they watch TV from five to ten p.m. and you try to take that controller away from the child, they're going to go into like a, a, a massive ten tantrum because you've disrupted that rigid routine that they're so used to. And that can be really difficult uh, with kids on the spectrum. Also, we mentioned kind of highly restricted uh, interests and other sensory issues, like really loud noises. I've seen adults on podcasts talk about any kind of like moderate to loud noise that's not expected. It's just like a startle, heavy startle response, almost feels mm. like they're having a heart attack and it really upsets them. So the, the diagnostic process is very evolved. Uh, and it takes a while, and, and it should be over multiple observations, working with family and the children. Uh, and it's a, and it's a it's a, um, a diagnostic process that's heavily rooted in science, but it's it's always evolving, right? And yeah. we're getting better at it, which is yeah. which is good. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw on um, TikTok this young man who has uh, autism, and his therapist showed him how to type, mm -hmm. and he said he had a he had a symphony. Oh, he had an opera. He had a symphony in his brain, mm -hmm. and they're playing it in Los Angeles today because he was able to finally get it out. They, they figured out a way for oh. him to get out. He worked with a composer and get out what he was hearing inside of his brain. So I say this to to give you an example. My daughter, one time we went to eat someplace, and um, we're vegan, and it was a vegan burger. And she, just for a second, she didn't remember how to pick it up. Mm -hmm. And her cousin was like, you don't know how to pick up a burger? And I knew what it was. And and she looked at me and I just turned her hand around. She was like, Thanks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she was and she was like, Yeah, I need you to go with me everywhere. I said, I can't go with you everywhere. You're gonna have to seriously think it through sometime. And she was like, Cool. But then people will say something and she has more ideas. She has more business ideas than any entrepreneur I've ever Very seen. Very interesting. Very, her brain is constantly moving like that. So, and they're great ideas. They're not just. She wonders why certain things aren't made yet. And uh, you know, we talked about Elon Musk, mm -hmm. and it was like, there you go. That's a good well, example. <laughs> yeah, call your cousin. <laughs> He'll tell you how to get it done. It's actually pretty common for for people on the spectrum to have the ability to kind of be laser focused on some things. Like we mentioned, trains, washing machines, business right. ideas. I mean, Elon, you mentioned um, there's a lot. There's many famous characters throughout history who have been, um, you know, we kind of think that they may have been on the spectrum going back, you know, hundreds of years. But their ability to kind of laser focus is, you know, a talent in some yeah. respects. 
Um, I've worked with uh, adults with autism spectrum disorders, and they were brilliant physicists, scientists. My major professor in graduate school stated that most really brilliant professors in, in um, universities across America are at least mildly autistic or somewhere on the spectrum because of their ability to focus on their craft. Wow. So that means I, I do have a bit of autism, I guess, because um, I had a coach, Chuck Daly, used to say I had the best mental health of any athlete. That's yeah. that's because he could yell at me <laughs> and I can say, all right, coach, and go out and do what he was requesting. And he can yell at me because I know coaches yell. But I have laser focus. Mm-hmm. I, I can focus for a very long time on one thing. And and I guess I do. I, and I don't like to be bothered when I'm focusing. Mm. As evidenced by your, your success right, <laughs> oh, in the NBA. You. Yeah. Uh, and I remember talking to you before you mentioned about Chuck Daly, one of the greatest coaches of all time, you know, yelling yeah. at you and how some guys had a real hard time yeah. dealing with that. But it never really just kind of rolled off your shoulders. No, I had I always had uh, Irish coaches, <laughs> uh, Catholic <laughs> Irish coaches. I had Bobby Crimmins. Bobby Crimmins would grab me the jersey and punch me in my chest so it looked like he was shaking my jersey. Uh, he would get kicked out now. But, um, yeah, I I always thought coaches yell, players play. So And I never looked at it as they were embarrassing me or anything like that. Plus, I was already in the mindset of destroying the person in front of me anyway. So I already had that feeling inside. Gotcha. Again, you know, speaking of your of your daughter Taya, um, going back in time, if you had to do it all over again, would you have done anything differently? Yes, I would have done a um, a couple of things differently. Um, I wouldn't have rushed because I know it's not the science, but I I think about putting things inside of a young um, developing human um, that's opposed to ward off other things that are not even in the in the view. So I would change on how and how I fed her. Her being shy and um, and so active, I would have literally had more tests. I, I, and I tell, I say this: um, when you're having a child, you want to you want to uh, not test them to think that they have to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But you could, I say, be on the grid. You guys call the spectrum. You could just try certain things, and if they catch it it may help them it may not help Mm -hmm. them but you you should be able to identify a lot of things from your children at an early age yeah you know i and it's it's easier said than done right hindsight is often 2020 but it starts with with podcasts like this and and with people like john who are you know willing to speak so openly about this because it brings awareness to it right Mm. you know if 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 20 years ago or 18 years ago, you know, we would have had more awareness, perhaps, you know, we'd be having a different conversation. For those who are listening to this or who have small children and, and they're, they're displaying behaviors that you're just not familiar with or you're, is making you nervous, you know, the thought of getting a diagnosis can be very scary. And then getting that diagnosis can right. be very scary for, for parents. Um, but I would highly encourage you to take that next step. Applied behavioral analysis, or otherwise known as ABA therapy, is the frontline treatment for autism and autism spectrum disorders. It really focuses on observing their behaviors, decreasing problematic behaviors, but also really also focusing on what they're amazing at and bringing out what they're good at and helping them to harness those skills. It also helps with social relationships. You know, we talked about, you know, body language and reading mm-hmm. facial expressions. Uh, it can also help to identify that. And while they, they're always going to have 
autism, they can learn a lot of skills to circumnavigate the disorder and become successful in public life. And to any parent or anybody out there, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with your child. So get out of the way of your ego. <laughs> Expand about that a little bit more. I think well, a lot of because a lot of people were, but not my kid. Yeah. You know, my yeah. my kid is, you know, my kid is my kid is is fine. There's nothing wrong with my kid, and it may not be. But you know, if you keep saying that and you keep brushing it under the rug because your ego doesn't want to. You want to blame yourself for your child's life. You know, you shouldn't do that. I really appreciate you saying that because I personally have friends and, and I know of par- young parents who have that exact same issue. Right? Oh, yeah. Just their ego. Very much in denial. And I think you helped me kind of put it into perspective. It's more about the ego of saying there's anything wrong with my child other than they're absolutely perfect. They get fantastic grades. They're doing amazing, but kind of getting out of your own way and putting the focus on the child, which is where it should be in the first place. Yeah. Then we wouldn't, you run into so many different things. I I wonder when I hear some of the horrific things that happen in, in, in now's days with these children and teenagers, if their parents weren't so caught in their own way Mm -hmm. and were to listen and find some things out. I, I think we could get away. I know growing up with some of the guys who would get in trouble, um, and then I would realize when I was in senior, one of my boys could not read, and we were seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, his parents didn't want to hear it, pushed him on, pushed him on. You could do this. You, you know, you got good grades. You go to a good school. It was more important on how they looked yeah. than what the child was going through. So what is your advice to parents out there around that subject? You know, you're, Taya got diagnosed later in life, right? Yeah. Said around 18 years old. What would you tell, what would you do to tell parents on how to, how to get past not only that, but what would you advise parents to do with young children who may need some extra help? Take them, um, stop sitting them in front of a television um, and letting the TV be the babysitter. Mm-hmm. Literally um, as many things as you can get for kids to use their hands, for kids to use their voice, to help them remember, to give them so many things outside of the, my mother called it the devil's eyeball, (laughs) outside of the devil's eyeball, and read books aloud with them, do math uh, projects, have them build something, figure out how something goes around, as much as you can get to get their minds to um to express themselves as opposed to being told how mm-hmm. to express is better. John, what you and I have talked a lot about mental health <clears throat> and and now we're talking about autism here too. Why do you think it's so different for parents, for anybody really, to get the help they need for something like this? Whereas if, you know, if your child had the flu mm-hmm. or diabetes, right. you, you wouldn't think twice about taking them to the doctor. Right? right, but when it comes to autism or mental health disorders or substance use disorders, why do you think it is people struggle so much and and wait so long to get help when the symptoms are right in front of them, just like any other medical diagnosis? Because when you're dealing with parents and you and you're dealing with parents and then their child, and they're with their child all the time, they want none of the blame to be on them. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand it's a it's a blame game. If something is wrong with the child mentally, you had something to do with it while you were pregnant. You know, it, it comes out of your side of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always 
like I, I always call it ego, but it's it's blaming. It's um, well, you know, you got a lot of mental health issues on your side of the family and just bled over into our kids. So now you have those different things and the one who suffers is the child. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yes. At the end of the day, the one who suffers is yeah. the child. So we've been hearing a lot about autism. Um, I, when I played in Miami back in the early 90s, Dan Marino was a, a huge advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his son having it. But when the athletes start talking about something or they say celebrities step into something that becomes. But you hear about it everywhere now. And it's, it's, um, it's prevalent. You're absolutely right about a couple of things there. Um, one, we do hear about it all the time now too. And a big reason is because of, you know, podcasts like this or, or people like you who are out there advocating for people and, and bringing awareness to it is the key. The term autism is, is coined as first being used back in 1911, if I remember correctly. Wow. So the term has been around for over a hundred years, but it wasn't until 1940 where it became a diagnostic criteria. Uh, where we started recognizing it. And like many other mental illnesses, if you look back to the 1940s and 1950s, we did a pretty terrible job of understanding it or treating it, you know, all the institutions and asylums that were put up all over the country, not very effective. Um, But, you know, fast forward to today, um, and everybody pretty much has heard the term by now or has some idea of what autism is. But we've gotten much better at, one, providing awareness through advocacy. Um, we've gotten much, much better at diagnosing it, diagnosing it earlier. And the good news here, if there is any good news, is that the, the treatment works pretty well. You're always going to have different severities of autism. Mm-hmm. That's why we call it a spectrum. Right. right. You can be very, very mild on the spectrum, or you can have very severe autism where long-term 24-hour care is going to be a facet of their life, you know, as sad as that is. But most people are somewhere, you know, kind of in the middle on that. And uh, applied behavioral analysis is an excellent therapeutic tool to help people to improve their lives. In fact, the science around that alone shows that almost everybody shows some improvement in the different areas that they struggle with. Can you grow out of it? That's another great question, right? Now, they, technically today, in today's terms, they say it's not cure. But around 9% of kids who have autism spectrum disorders and when caught early and go through a significant amount of therapy are classified as non-diagnosable anymore or don't meet the diagnostic criteria. So is that a cure? You know, it remains to be seen. Um, I look at it more as like remission, mm-hmm. right? Whereas they may not meet this criteria or the symptoms anymore, but you may still need to continue to work with, you know, a trusted therapist or uh, throughout the course of your life to kind of continue to build upon the skills. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. You mentioned um, emotion. Mm -hmm. So I saw um, just the other day that literally divorce has gone up 10%. Mm -hmm. It is now 61% of people get divorced. Isn't that terrible? Um, it, uh, not bad for divorce lawyers, but uh, <laughs> it's good for divorce lawyers. But if, if, if close to more than 50% of marriages, do you think maybe also we should go in and, and not saying people are autistic, but the fact that their emotions are um, 
to have an emotional situation. I, 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 I've been married 30 years, so mm-hmm. I know I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but just, just that mentality of being with somebody for a long period of time, does that have any? It's, it's a great question. And I've done a lot of couples therapy. Yeah. So what I can tell you about my work with couples therapy, and it's been a minute back to my grad school days, yeah. right? Um, but the dynamics I saw oftentimes in couples therapy were many different variables that led to breakups or divorce. A lot of times it had to do with kids, right? right. Especially if there's any kind of trouble, right? Correct. You get a situation where you have a child who has a severe medical illness that puts tremendous stress on the family unit, the mm-hmm. individuals. Um, and, you know, it's certainly in in the topic that we're discussing today, that could be a big big problem, right? Like you said something too that I, I've seen this in my own personal life. They don't want to accept the fact there's something wrong with their child. And right. that can drive a massive wedge in between the couples. But back to what your, your question, you know, working with couples as I have, um, the biggest problem I always saw was communication. Right. But that's what I mean. Uh, what if some of these people were to get tested on where they are on the spectrum, even though they're above 30 or th- Mm-hmm. If, if if there was a overall, I don't know one test doesn't do everything, but if there was a way to test and people would find out that maybe they have this autism, their inability to deal with other people's emotions, their own emotions, mm-hmm. they don't know what's really going on in their body. Um, Taya, uh, well, I'm a Taurus and she's a Taurus. And so we, you know, when you deal with the Zodiacs and they're trying to tell you the thing, I'm quick to, if, if you do me wrong, don't worry about it. Like you could, I could turn you off right now and not care if you're breathing or not. And Interesting. I, and she was quick at that. And so we just thought it was, we were so similar. And then, I started realizing maybe we're very similar in that because I started seeing some of the things that they considered to be autistic. Um, The emotion thing, I was always a social butterfly, so Uh that was not my thing. The the emotion of... uh, And then, like you said, I'm a bad boy, so I don't care uh, (laughs) as much. But I would see and hear some things that I would attest to autism, but... I don't know, man. I I, I don't want to I don't want to paint it with a broad brush, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people should get tested because of their lifestyle. Now it, they could realize it. It can be something that they could fix. Sometimes it's so blatant that everybody knows there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes the symptoms are so few, or you're so high functioning that it can go a lifetime without ever being caught. I right. think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, I, I'm definitely. My my one of my daughters told me she said you're definitely on the spectrum. <laughs> I said okay, thank you. I'll be on the purple. She has diagnosed you. Yes, she's a doctor. You know, you know, uh, there there's so many different mental health diagnoses that have certain criteria to be diagnosed. Autism is clearly one of them, but there's others too, like where you may have a symptom or two and not meet criteria for the diagnosis, but still have a symptom or two or three that can sometimes be troubling, but you may not meet criteria for. Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of people like uh, give the example of depression, right? Now you wake up some days, don't feel great, right? I wake up some days, I feel sad, right? I I don't feel like going to work, right? I will ask myself, what am I doing here? I just want to stay in bed. Does that mean I have major depressive disorder? No. 
it's totally normal to have those kind of bad days once in a while, right? It's when it clusters together into a, into a syndrome where we have a problem, right? Mm. Now that one or two bad days where I woke up and I didn't feel like doing anything, that turns into three weeks and I haven't left my house, right? And I can barely get up to take a shower. Now we're starting to see a criteria for diagnoses come into play. You mentioned that you you identify with certain symptoms of yeah. the spectrum, right? right? And maybe that never amounted to a full criteria for diagnosis in you, but maybe some of those things that you dealt with you turned into strengths. And yeah. I think you, I've heard you mention those a few my times. My superpower yeah, is definitely superpower. my super. I'm just like Kanye. My superpower. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about the the difficulties of being on the spectrum or what treatment is needed for people who are struggling with this disorder. But there's a lot of really amazing things too uh, and amazing things that come um, from people who who are on the spectrum. And I've seen it firsthand. Right. Um, like I was mentioned, brilliant professors who are so focused on their craft or maybe athletes as well, you know, who are just so laser focused on what they do and they work harder and they're more clear-minded about it than anybody. Uh, and they excel in their field. And I think, you know, you probably relate to some of that yeah I, I definitely get to a point where like i said my emotion is different when 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 something in front of me and it seems so simple and you can't do it I, i'm like it's you know i yeah. i quick to jump and it's probably why i'm not a coach right now uh <laughs> because i think you know you should be able to do it he did it you did it she did it you could do it but i i'm gonna say that i think they pay attention to so much now i have also seen it used as a crutch mm -hmm. which um what well, anything can be used as a crutch but i remember one time my daughter said something and she goes i have autism that's why i was like hey that has nothing to do with you closing the door <laughs> closing the cabinet stop using autism as, as a crutch so yeah they're going to use she used it uh as many times as she could she also said her body heats up differently. Mm. Is that is is yeah. that true also? They have they can experience very interesting and sometimes very difficult sensory experiences. You may notice um definitely not you know 20 years ago, but these days I noticed it during the uh the NHL playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um I was in Vegas for I think game 2 of uh, the Panthers and the Golden Knights and they were talking about sensory rooms for people who were struggling with autism like if, if it got too much you know you mentioned the crowds and stuff right. you could actually go to these sensory rooms and now some stadiums across the country are developing this and even have little kind of packets like with headphones and things to help drown out some of the sound it's a really amazing thing to see wow yeah, yeah so she she says um she overheats yeah and she has three different fans going on the air condition and i was like maybe it's early onset menopause you know <laughs> maybe we're lucky no uh <laughs> so but you know i'm a joke in trying to find just in it somewhere but she was like seriously i'm i'm overheating i overheat yeah. so i pay attention to every single mm -hmm. thing she gets my attention obviously you can tell yeah she calls herself my favorite <laughs> uh i know not to disagree um but that was a, that was another thing just came to mind that certain things she still does not like people staring at her mm -hmm. and she's a model yeah ever since she was a little kid she didn't she didn't like she goes why are they staring at me and people used to just think she was a mean little girl uh, yeah that was and, and and was quiet and she would only talk to her one sister mm -hmm. so i'm just telling anybody out there if you just a few things I just told you, pay attention. Yeah. I'm not saying baby them, 
but I'm telling you to at least give it some some focus. You're right. You're absolutely right. That is a fantastic point for our listeners out there. You know, we we get frustrated as parents mm-hmm. with with behaviors of our children and and, and even adult age children, but when they're expressing to you that they're feeling something or they're having trouble with something or going through something, it's not always just an excuse for bad behavior, but it's something very, very real that they're experiencing that we may not have any ability to understand. You mentioned the sensory issue. I feel like I'm overheating. There are some some people who suffer from um, spectrum disorders who can't stand the feel of a certain kind of fabric on right. their skin. And like, while that make not make sense to anyone else, they just it just absolutely drives them crazy. It could be any kind of fabric, or maybe it's um, you know temperatures or yeah. loud noises or sound certain sounds or or it could be a host of any different things. A friend of mine who is a psychologist once told me um, something that always stuck with me is if you've met a person with autism, you've met a person with autism. Kind of meaning like you've Mm -hmm. met an individual with autism. Right. does not mean that the next person that has autism is going to match exactly what that person's experiencing. Correct. It can vary, vary quite widely. Mm. I'm going to start telling folks that. If you met a black person, you met a black person. (laughs) (laughs) We ain't all like that. That's great. So yeah, absolutely. You know what, what she's experiencing there is um, not surprising at all. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, how does she how does she deal with it? Well, she has a thousand fans, ah. and I told her, I said I think you just like the sound of the fan, and she <laughs> goes, "No, I'm hot." And then I found out that the air conditioner on that side of the house wasn't working properly. She goes, "See, I wasn't tripping," <laughs> but then she loves the tan. And I said, you love being in, in the hot. She goes, yeah, just at night. I said, that's just what happens. You, you know, your body is still radiating the heat you pulled in. She was like, you made that up. I go, yeah, I make it all up. But I deal with the fact that she has the fans. I deal, and I believe her that she's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, her body is to touch. And so we just try to, I try to, I said, hey, you know, one way of cooling yourself down is to drink warm water and warm uh, warm the hot tea mm-hmm. then that will help your body cool down she goes it makes no sense and i go well if you drink something hot your body will cool down if you drink something cold your body will heat up did she try, did she try that yeah she tries she goes you just want me to drink tea with you like an old person <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's funny she has great timing with comedy she's funny everything that you would want your child to be she is so and she's turned out to be a wonderful person and we deal with the situations as they go that's all you know you've been such a a great help um you know to to me personally and to help kind of get the word about about mental health and and now autism and you've been such a great advocate for us mm-hmm. so i want to thank you again for that mm-hmm. i i would like to ask you know how has your experience with taya and you know you mentioned your friends ha- that have um, a child, adult age, yeah, uh, with with autism. How has that kind of changed your perspective and values on life? Um, and what message would you like to give to others who are maybe uh, experiencing or kind of embracing neurodiversity uh, as a subject? Being funny, but not being funny. You, everyone wants their kids to be not the jester in class, and wants them to be. Um, you know, you got people with bumper stickers on their car. My kid is an A student at, at this school yeah. and that school. I, I tell this, do, your children 
everyone feels is a representation of you, you're a representation of you. Mm -hmm. And your children are a representation of you and them, right? They hold your name, but they are human. Mm -hmm. And they have different human trials and tribulations. And your picture of picture perfect or your picture of what you want them to be is not as important as who they are. So focus on who they are, help them become the best person they can possibly be, and be a support. Don't enable, be a support. That really kind of resonates with me as personally as a parent. I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and I absolutely feel exactly how you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. I feel it in myself, you know, um, wanting my, you know, nothing to be wrong with them, you know, right. get fantastic grades, be in gifted programs, be the best athlete they can be and mm -hmm. anything. And I feel it, you know, when anything goes wrong or they display, you know, public behaviors, I don't, you know, I feel like it's a reflection of myself. And sometimes I kind of think about that, but not until you really said it, did I really realize that not only is it not a reflection of me, um, but they are their own individual and it, their struggles and their triumphs. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to be there to support yeah. both of them. Especially men that have daughters. Let me explain to you. Those are your daughters, not your possessions. They, and I, and I said this in, um, on one show, and I don't think they got it. This one guy didn't know what I meant. I said, you know, they're human. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, we think women are, are one thing. And I remember growing up, we think women are, supposed to be this this and this mm -hmm. and nothing more than that and we take away their humanity when we do that people are going to be what people are going to be and they said you know and all my daughters are beautiful you know i'm not bragging i'm bragging <laughs> they're all beautiful that means there's way more boys than normal and we'll you know buzzing around and and everyone said how do you deal with it i deal with the fact that they're human and I was big on respecting yourself when they were young. So it yeah. was easier when they got older to know that I'm expecting them to respect themselves. So guys who have children that are female. And if you got boys, <laughs> you know, not every boy is going to run through the wall mm -hmm. or, or going to be the quarterback yeah. or going to be the, you know, the star basketball player. But they're they're human, so let them be human. Are you saying that I can't pretend my daughter will only be eight forever? <laughs> no, and I, my my daughter said, "Oh, my best year was when I was four. I said, "I agree." <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it was only a year. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ABA Centers of America. You know, I think um, John. In closing, what if you got to give one message to parents out there? who may be in a similar situation with young children, what, what's the one piece of advice you'd like them to remember from this show? I would want them to remember to be open to understanding that this is a human. Uh -huh. Be open to understanding there's so many things that are going on at once that if as much information, positive information, that you can get to help your child become a better human, do that. Absolutely well said. And, and there can be an overload of information sometimes and there yeah. can be tons of misinformation so if you're in this situation now and if you have a young child or, or a teenager who is displaying symptoms of a possible disorder that you're struggling with or you don't know how to handle i think it's critically important to get help 
you're you're not in a position to diagnose your own child and you can work with experts who can really help you to not only get the proper diagnosis if there is one mm-hmm. but to to then create a program or a treatment plan to help them to uh, overcome some of their disabilities, improve on their strengths, and really move forward in life on the best possible footing. Again, um, applied behavioral analysis is the frontline treatment for autism and autism spectrum disorders. It can be extremely effective, especially when caught early. It is time intensive, you know, especially in the early phases. It takes a lot of time. Um, but children who are who are discovered early, who are diagnosed early, and who are brought into um, this type of treatment can absolutely flourish. Last thing I'll ask you again, I have to, I don't think I caught what is, uh, what's Taya's superpower? We know yours. I watched it all when I was growing up. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Taya's superpower is she's, she has an unbelievable magnetic field that draws people into her. And she's kind. It, it's the craziest thing. And you, she seems standoffish, but her kindness is her superpower. She sounds like an incredible, incredible yeah, young lady. It's my kid. Yeah. Of course she's. <laughs> I'd like to take this opportunity once again to thank our very special guest, John Sally, for being here today to help spread awareness around autism and spectrum disorders. John, you're, you're a champion of, of, of mental health and uh, advocacy for mental health and you know the work that you do and the willingness that you, you take uh, makes a huge difference. Thank and you. I want to thank you for that personally. As a psychologist and therapist and someone who's dedicated their career to this, one of the biggest challenges we often have in the mental health business is awareness. Uh, and lowering the stigma, and that is especially important here, and that's what we've done today. To learn more about the spectrum and autism awareness, please visit our website at abacenters.com. Like and subscribe to our channel to stay educated. We have many more incredible episodes coming up soon. Uh, We hope you'll tune in and check out our other episodes. In the meantime, I'm Dr. Bender. Thank you for joining us. (music)